Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. We are doing yet another Wrestling with Attitude podcast, numero 12. With me today, the great Nick Coleman. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing wonderful. How about you, Mr. Greg? Doing very well. I can't complain. Awesome, uh, awesome. Here, here, March of 2022, and... Not too bad. Looking like hopefully the snow will be gone pretty soon up in the, yep. the great northeast here. Well, you know, snow was gone after today because this week alone, I am sitting here. It's Friday. This week, it has it, at least where I'm from, it has been sunny. It has been foggy. It has been snowy, and it is currently raining. So I don't. That's Maine for you, right? Yeah. Now. So for those of you listening that uh, don't live in the Northeast, what they say around here is if like the weather give it about 20 minutes and something else will happen <laughs> absolutely and that is com- that's not even an exaggeration it's crazy yeah yeah so in today's agenda we're doing something a little bit different um and for those of you that follow us we have been on a wrestlemania kick uh this whole wrestlemania season but uh, to shake things up we are going old school wcw WCW 1997's version of Halloween Havoc and I wanted to go uh, this is kind of fun for me in particular because this is roughly the time period when I started getting into professional wrestling yeah um, I would have been in second grade so I would have been seven or eight years old in that area which was first for you WWF or WCW I on it was honestly all in the same. Um, yeah, the first ever view I actually watched live was Starcade '97. Starcade '97. Yes, but that same month in December of '97, I went to my first house show, which was a WWF uh, show at the the Bangor Auditorium. Nice, nice. And all I remember from that was. Triple H in The Undertaker in a casket match. Oh my, could you imagine them coming to friggin' Bangor, Maine today? Back then, so they actually, I don't know if you know this or not, that was, I, from what I, to my knowledge, was the last time they did a Monday Night Raw. Really? Yeah, they did it. I, I went... I, it had to have been like a Saturday night say in Bangor, and they actually did a Raw in Portland. They did? They did. If you go back on um, it's December, it's like the first or second week of December of 1997. Wow. And it's from uh, well, now it's called the Cross Insurance Arena, but it was the Cumberland County Civic Center at the time. And it was a packed house. It, it was, they got a pretty good showing there. Nice, nice. I'm not 100% sure of this. I could be wrong, but I think it was the episode of Raw that Stone Cold Steve Austin actually threw the Rock's Intercontinental title off the Well, that is cool. I just looked up WWF Raw, Portland, Maine, and what I have here is December 8th, 1997. Okay, yeah. Yep. Yep. So right in this time period, actually. Yeah, roughly. Uh, this was Halloween Havoc, so probably right around Halloween, end of October. So yeah, like 
within two months this happened. That's cool. It's cool because nothing super crazy happens here. The last time I went to a wrestling show, I actually went to my first televised one in November. I went to Raw, and for that, I went to Rhode Island. And other than that, Boston is kind of like where I go to see wrestling. They'll run a house show around here every once in a while, but nothing really that crazy. That's cool, though. (laughs) Yeah, I don't. Well, COVID obviously kind of screwed everything up the last couple of years. They they were coming back to Bangor uh, about once a year there for a stretch. I know they were coming at least. I know that they did. The first show I ever went to was in like around Bangor. And I know that before COVID, SummerSlam 2020 was going to be in boston and me and my family had all these big plans to go to SummerSlam and raw which was gonna be awesome but damn covid ruined it yeah it sure screwed things up hopefully they'll make it back up this way um, i bet they will eventually yeah but I'll, I'll tell you one thing real quick before we dive into this if, if you're gonna go to a show in maine regardless if it's tv or odds are it's gonna be just a house show um portland is a very exciting crowd way more people go it, it, it's the city portland's about twice big or better than that and uh you draw a crowd it's not that far from new hampshire um i so i went in i went with uh derek actually in 2017 and it was probably pretty damn close to sold out actually yeah uh whereas you know, bangor there's a lot of them <laughs> yeah yeah not quite as you know it's you know being a part of a an excited crowd is what the fun of it you know absolutely i had it's just a lot of fun like i just i love going to wrestling shows so much i've been to uh, i think five at this point four house shows one televised and it's always so much fun the one i went to in rhode island was really cool the crowd was super hot especially for rk bro they got like an unbelievable chant and they were on commentary during a match between uh the street profits and i think ziggler and rude and the whole crowd just just we just destroyed that match with chance for rk bro randy orton and riddle and it was just so fun to be a part of such a like a crazy crowd yeah yeah that's that's what it's all about is just feeling that atmosphere yes absolutely so uh, again, uh, like like I said, Halloween Havoc 1997 hits home for me because here I am a 32 year old uh, man now, if you want to call me that. Uh, <laughs> I, so I was just a kid, but starting out 25 um, ish years ago, uh, getting into it around the time this pay per view happened. Now, you being much younger than me, Nick. Um, you know, I have obviously since then gone back and watched a lot of uh, stuff from this era, but clearly not as much WCW opposed to WWE. Yes. So I thought this would be a fun one to do um, to kind of get your reactions as to how uh, this show went uh, and whatnot, being a little bit different uh, side of things in the, uh, the world of pro wrestling back then. Um, yeah, I, so I've seen, like, this is the first 
top to bottom WCW show I've watched in full. We were originally going to watch what what did we say? Starcade ninety seven. That was the first one we were gonna say. But then I wanted to watch this one because I've been playing a lot of the new game, 2K22, great game by the way. And the first match in that Rey Mysterio showcase is Rey Mysterio Jr. versus Eddie Guerrero. <laughs> and people have just talked that match up for years. And I was watching like some sort of countdown of the top ten Rey Mysterio matches and this match was number one so it really got me interested so i wanted to watch it and review it with the show and i'm very excited to talk about that one that absolutely to this day stands up as uh, you can argue um one of the greatest matches in the history of ever <laughs> absolutely i think it's easily one of the greatest i no, i think it is the greatest lucha libre match of all time it's just there's so much. I, we'll talk about it more in depth when we actually get to the match, but I, it was just so, so amazing. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, all around the card was pretty good. I think if you look at this card top to bottom, we got nine matches to uh, to go over today. And a lot of it, though, there was the Eddie Ray match stands out as the match of the night, obviously. Absolutely. But, but a lot of the other matches, it was more about the storytelling than the matches itself yeah there was a lot of storytelling like throughout the night the whole story was like is hulk hogan gonna wrestle yes Yes. so that was um you know the the nwo uh theme at the time obviously as anybody listening to this knows uh the the top uh heel faction in the business at the time and hogan played a pretty good uh I get say a chicken shit heel as far as trying to get out of uh, bad situations. Piper was a threat to him. the The main event was a non title match in a steel cage. Regardless, he did not want to see Piper. Yes. So, uh, getting things going. Well, first off, uh, just a little information on the pay per view, real quick. This was held on October twenty sixth, nineteen ninety seven. Uh, from the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. Today is now basically the home of the UFC. Uh, 12,457 in attendance with uh, Tony Schiavone, Mike and Dusty Rhodes calling the shots. This pay-per-view did 305,000 pay-per-view buys. Nice, nice. Which wasn't too bad considering this... um, it was a big pay-per-view, yes. This was still in the build to Starcade 97, which we all know was uh, the returning stick coming back in defense of WCW against the mighty Hollywood Hulk Hogan, which would be two months after this. Yes, and uh, Starcade is like this is like WCW's answer to WrestleMania. So yeah. if, if like... Today, like AEW, they only do pay-per-views every, I think, what is it, four months, three months, something like that. Yeah, it's about quarterly because it's four a year. Yeah, pretty much. So I uh, try and buy all of them. But if if I was in the position where I had to spend however much money it was, like monthly, I would not buy a pay-per-view two months before the biggest show. So, yeah. (laughs) Right. So that being said, that's a very good point. 305,000 buys isn't that bad considering. So I'm going to throw a couple of numbers out for you. 
yep. this pay-per-view actually beat the 97 WWF Survivor Series pay-per-view, the infamous Montreal Screwjob, only did 250,000 buys. Wow. That is, that's a number right there. I was not expecting that, but I guess, you know, they didn't advertise it as Bret Hart will be screwed by Vince McMahon and Earl Hebner. So I can understand that. Still a little shocking though, because it was, even though we didn't know what was going down um, at the time, it was still Bret and Sean. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And it was relatively well-known uh, if things were different back then, obviously the internet uh, was not the same. Um, but you know, people knew Brett was leaving, and uh, yeah, you know, so there was controversy around what was going to happen. We just didn't know what. <laughs> yeah. Um, but to put it in perspective, so this pay per view, three hundred five thousand uh, Survivor Series, a month from later uh, after this was two hundred fifty thousand. Starcade ninety seven did six hundred fifty thousand. Wow. What did uh, that year's Mania get? Here we go. So the 98 uh, WrestleMania 14 did 730,000. Wow. Yeah, is Yeah, I mean, that's expected. Yeah. So, but then again, you think about it. So as we speak, Halloween Havoc 97, WCW was winning the war at this point, but the turn was... The build to Mania 14, obviously, Stone Cold Steve Austin, white hot at the time. He was just getting into his main event push, and they had Mike Tyson on board. And at the time, as an overall polarizing sports figure, was huge. Yes. He, he, he was, uh, you can argue, the greatest heavyweight boxing um, fighter ever, and he just bit uh, Evander Holyfield's ear off. So oh, there, there was a lot of publicity, whether it was good or bad. People were talking about Mike Tyson at that point in time. Yeah. And that's the only reason he was at Mania 14 that year. I, I shouldn't say only reason, but he was freed up because he was suspended from boxing. <laughs> he surprised. didn't have much else going on um, yeah. at that time. And uh, so to put into perspective in uh in reflection, what was going on in the fall of 97, I did d- just a real quick background. Uh, NWO angle was hot. We're going to get into that. And on the other side of things, uh, a week before this pay-per-view was the 1997 In Your House version Bad Blood, which included the first ever Hell in a Cell match between Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker with Kane's debut. Yes. And it's then gotta be after Kane. that was the Montreal screw job. Yes. DX was very, very fresh at this time. And Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock were well on their way to stardom, but still technically on the mid-card wrestling for the Intercontinental Championship. Yeah. That was what was going on in a timeline sequence as we take off here in October of 97. Uh Uh-huh. So kicking things off, uh, match numero uno. Yuji Nagata with Sonny Ono versus the Ultimo Dragon as the opener for this uh, pay-per-view. Yeah, I enjoyed this. I'm not, I know of the Ultimo Dragon, but I don't think I've ever seen a match of his before this. I don't know anything about, uh, you. what's his name, Yuki Nagata. So I don't know much about either of these guys, but I enjoyed this. I thought it was some pretty solid, like pretty like Japanese strong style wrestling. 
Yeah, absolutely. So Ultimo yeah. Dragon was um, relatively, I, I, I shouldn't use the word hot, but he was a solid cruiserweight wrestler for WCW. And WC, uh, that was one brainchild of, of Eric Bischoff uh was bringing over the the lucha libres and having a mix of mexican style wrestlers with the new japan guys coming over yeah making a smaller division uh and labeling them cruiser but it was really exciting um uh, uh, to have that division on board because it was something the wwf was not doing at the time yeah so it was it was different. It was fun. Ultimo Dragon was a key part of their, their success. Um, and the storyline behind this match was uh, Sonny Ono had turned on Ultimo Dragon and brought over Nagata from New Japan. Yep. Little backstory on Nagata. Um, he was employed by New Japan Pro Wrestling from 92 to 97, had about a year and a half stint in WCW, and went back... Uh, to New Japan, where he is still employed to this day. I did not know of that. That's cool, though. He is a two-time uh, world champion over in Japan, and he technically retired from in-ring competition back in 2010, but now works uh, developing young talent and training guys. Yep. So, yeah, big... Uh, and I thought it was a solid match. Clearly, both guys um, knew how to work. Um, this match lasted nine minutes and 42 seconds. Um, yeah, Eugene Nagata, he got the win with, a, I don't know what to call it, like kind of a breached arm bar, but it was a really cool visual. And uh, yeah, he got the win. And after the match, him and what was his manager, Sonny Ono, they beat up the Ultimo Dragon after the match. Yes. Yeah. So out of five, what'd you give this? I gave it like a 2.5 out of five because I think it was, not, I think it was better than average, but I don't think it was anything above it. I think it was solid. It wasn't like a, you know, Tokyo Dome six-star match, but I did enjoy it a lot. So I say like 2.5 or maybe a three out of five. What do you think? I had three. I had three. Again, just, yep. um, I don't think they were really out there to to blow the doors off the building, but it was a solid opener. Yep. And no more, no less. Little story between Ono and Dragon there. Um, nothing major. Again, one thing I really loved about um, the storytelling back in the day was the announcers knew that this match was going on, right? Yep. But they're still talking about Hogan and, and what he, what's to come next. I know. The whole night, the whole story was just, is Hulk Hogan going to wrestle? Hulk Hogan said he would refuse to wrestle unless WCW signed a contract saying Sting wasn't allowed to be there. <laughs> which is kind of funny going forward but yeah true it's ironic uh, when we'll talk about the main event it's ironic but yeah, yeah. uh you're gonna have to help me there's so there's some promo segments i was too concerned on writing stuff about the matches then mm-hmm. there's some mean gene uh interviews and stuff if i start to skip ahead uh just let me know yep um going forward so Match number two, um, an impromptu match, which, which was not advertised, was debuting Ghetto versus uh, some, some, some young star. Some young star. I forgot. What's his name? Chris, Chris Jericho? Wow, that's that's weird. He was some young star. I wonder whatever happened to him. 
Yeah, he. I don't think his career lasted very long. I think he faded off uh, not yeah. just long after that. He went to some. I know that a couple of years after this, he went to some other company. I don't remember the name of it, but you know, I I just, I can't remember. I feel like something. I'm thinking of when I think of this guy. For some reason, I can't stop thinking of a list. I don't know why. What am there I? It was something of? about a list, and I I think he he might be uh he might sing uh, like in a cover band. No. Nothing serious, but like, oh yeah, they they, yeah. they perform down to bingo halls on on weekends. Oh tips. yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, I remember him now. Yes, but no. But, so it was uh, Ghetto versus Chris Jericho in a match that they like kind of hyped up. Like it's not like a usual thing like WWE will do. They literally hyped it up like this is unannounced. It's a special match. We're so special, and it was kind of cool. I don't. I thought this was a pretty solid match. Actually, I've never. Uh, Ghetto's another wrestler I'm not familiar with at all, and Jericho. You know, I've seen. I can't remember if I've ever seen a match of his. He's probably, I don't know what ever happened to him. But it was a pretty solid match. I liked the Japanese, like, again, the Japanese strong style of Ghetto. I think the selling was really good in this match. And for an impromptu match with a crowd that wasn't super, super into it, I enjoyed this. I enjoyed it, too. Um, yep. I, I, now I'm looking, I wrote something down now that I can't find. So I did a little bit of, uh, research on ghetto because i had never heard of him Mm -hmm. (coughs) excuse me (coughs) he uh wrestled for new japan but he was in several organizations um in japan and one was called wew i think wew where did i write that down sorry i am a cluster uh, ladies and gentlemen, WEW and Big Japan Pro Wrestling. There it is. Right. Big Japan Pro Wrestling. I have never heard of that before. Did a lot of tag team stuff from what I read. Uh, yep. I think I, I briefly going through, he's won uh, Wrestling Observer and has given him Booker of the Year over in Japan multiple times. Wow. Um. So he obviously has a business and my apologies to any new japan fans listening to this yeah i'm very sorry (laughs) yeah i have my own little youtube channel and i frequently have to apologize to all of the new japan fans because i just i have never not once seen new japan you know what we sometime we should do that watch a new japan show see if it's all it's up with all the hype we should yeah absolutely i'd be down i just uh i just pulled up his uh ghettos his wikipedia page so it's wikipedia so take this with a pinch of salt but from what i'm reading he's kind of a big deal in new japan he managed jay white and kazuchika okada and i know both of them he was a member of chaos which is cool chaos is still around today so yeah he's a pretty big deal over in japan okada's awesome Okada's great. I I don't know much about um, New Japan, but I know that Okada is probably the best Japanese, one of the best Japanese pro wrestlers of all time. One of the few matches I've seen from New Japan was Okada and um, Omega. From... Oh my god, I want to watch. I, I want to watch that match so bad. I've, all I've heard every time somebody says, like uh, one time I said on my YouTube channel, one. Uh, uh, Danielson versus Omega is Omega's best match last year. Uh, is Omega's best match ever? And I had like three people coming after me saying, "You're stupid. It's not that. It's uh, it's Omega and Okada." And I, I want to see that really bad. So you haven't seen it? No, I've not seen it. Make it a priority. Absolutely, we'll, I'm gonna we'll have to. <laughs> yeah. Super good. I found it on uh, something, probably YouTube. However, 
Yeah, I think the match was from 2016 or 17, maybe. Really? Yeah. Uh, I'm not, it's somewhere, it was a few years ago, uh, not super long ago, but absolutely excellent match. It was a it was super long, I want to say about a 40 minute match too, but. Yeah, I just looked it up because I know that it's from Wrestle Kingdom 11 and it was, oh, ironic, uh, Ghetto was in Okada's corner for that match. Um, so it was Okada, Omega, uh, Kazuchika Okada won and it went 47 minutes, which is yeah. just insane. Holy crap. Iron Man match. It was an Iron Man match? Well, no, I'm saying damn near, you know. Yeah, oh, I know. Absolutely. Yeah. That's cool. But we, yeah, we've gone a little bit off track, but that's cool. I'm definitely going to have to find that match somewhere. Do it up. Yeah. So, so, uh, getting to, so this match, um, I thought it was solid considering it was, you know, second on the card. Uh, it was about a seven, a little over a seven match. Winds up, Ghetto uh, tries something off the top where Jericho throws him out of air and gets it. wasn't uh, the walls of Jericho at this point in time. It was still the Lion. And Ghetto was uh, forced to tap out to Chris Jericho. Yes, Jericho got the win. Wonder whatever happened to that young little whippersnapper. Uh, I gave the match three out of five. I enjoyed like the hard hitting style to it. What'd you What'd you give it? Two and three quarter stars. Two and three quarters. So we're right around the same ballpark still. Yeah, absolutely solid. And uh, I thought one little thing, I thought it was kind of interesting. I remember Jericho being a heel in WCW, but he was clearly the baby in this match. He was the baby face of this match. Yeah. So I think this was before he he, he became a very one cry uh, loser heel uh, not that long after this. Oh, I know. Is this before or after the uh, Thousand Holds? Or what is it? The. 10,000 holds, or I can't remember exactly what it is, that list that he read. Yeah, uh, this is before. And so he got into that feud with Dean Malenko probably just a matter of months after this. God, I love, I've seen that. I don't watch much of WCW, but I've seen so many times that friggin' promo of him reading the list of the moves. And I can't remember exactly what it was, but he would name off a bunch of moves and then he would always come back to this one move and then he would keep saying it again. And then apparently one of the stories behind that promo is that when they went to commercial break during the promo, apparently like he's, when they went to commercial, he just started ragging on the uh, wherever they were, their sports team, and then the second the cameras came back on, he started reading it again, which just shows he's one of the best heels of all time. Right? Yeah, they were in Chicago, and it was um, oh list- Lord, rowdy crowd, much. Yeah, there, it was the list of it because Dean Malenko claimed to be the the man of a thousand holds. So Jericho, that's right? That's all coming back to me now. That's right. That's right. So, so Jericho's retaliation was was well, I'm the man of a thousand and four holds. Well, the funny thing was was armbar was about every third hold. That's right. It was armbar. That's what it was. Yeah. So he starts listing them off. It starts off, you know, number one armbar, number two arm drag. Number three, whatever. Number four, arm bar. They cut to commercial, and like you said, he got the crowd pissed off and booing. So as soon as the cameras come back on after commercial break, it sounds like, you know, the, the crowd's booing him, but in reality, he was shitting on the Chicago Cubs, the Blackhawks. I the just love Jericho so much. 
Yeah, but uh, on TV, you had no idea. So he comes back, and at this point, you know, five minutes later, hold number 732. <laughs> I know, and the arm bar. It's just so great. Yeah. Oh, that was Jericho. really, like, the start of Jericho being like, oh, man, this guy's got a hell of a personality on him. <laughs> I know. Yeah, just it's just a shame nothing ever came of his career. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. Yeah. He'll never be in the Hall of Fame. I know. <laughs> that is actually probably true, that part. Okay, so before, I did not write down any promos, so was there a promo between this and the next match? I got one after the next match, a Hogan promo, but we'll get to that. All right, awesome, because I am very, very excited to talk about the next match, the WCW Cruiserweight title, Eddie Guerrero defending the title against Rey Mysterio Jr. at the time. And, oh, I'm so excited to talk about this because I have never actually seen this match in full before WWE 2K22 talked about it, and it sparked my interest. So I wanted to watch it, and after I watch it, I can comfortably say it is one of the best matches I've ever seen. Absolutely. So a little fun fact about this match, not only was it for the Cruiserweight Championship uh, that was obtained by Eddie Guerrero coming to this match, it was also a title versus mask match. Really? Yeah, so uh, that was a little backstory. If Ray lost, he was supposed to unmask. Oh, well, that one I did not know. That's good to know. Yes. So absolute classic of a match absolutely uh and, and a fun little fact for you uh ray mysterio would have only been roughly around 23 to 24 years old at the time of this match that's crazy and he's still around he's what 46 47 now he's, I, I, yeah i looked it up so he's 47 so that's why i say he would have been roughly in that area depending on his birthday but yeah i mean Jer- uh, ray mysterio is just a legend he's so good Mm-hmm. And then, of course, he's not exactly battling anybody. He's fighting Eddie freaking Guerrero. They've fought several times, but I think this is just an absolutely phenomenal match. Absolute banger of a match. Damn near 14 minutes. Uh, I know. And just start to finish uh, really a blistering pace. Uh, so my thoughts in general on that was it was the combination of Mysterio's creativity as a high-flying luchador, so to speak. Yep. Eddie being able to take that and sell it and throw in his heel heat. I know. Eddie's just one of the... uh, Talking about some of the best heels of all time, Eddie Guerrero has to be in that conversation. Right. And and Eddie got his stuff in as well when when needed. Um, Yes. But it was really about showcasing... Mysterio's talent at this point in my yes. So, um, but yeah, absolute five star match. Absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, this match it was just it was just like it was fourteen minutes, and when it started, it did not stop. There was no cool down. There was very there was little to no. There was a there was obviously some, but there was little to no like rest holds and just arm drags and slow wrestling. This was just fast paced from start to finish. Really, really good near falls. This got the crowd right back into it. This was a fantastic match. Absolutely, and. Uh... Mysterio gets the win. I'm not 100% sure if this was his first 
title in WCW. I'm I'm kind I of believe, assuming it was his first. Uh, I believe it was his second, if I'm was not his- mistaken. Yeah. I believe I don't know exactly why I know that, but I'm pretty sure. I heard him say or something. It was so cool to win my second cruiserweight title or something. I, it was something like that. It's first or second. It's just one of his earliest title wins. Ray gets the win. Excellent. Excellent match. I have obviously given it five stars. I think it, it, it deserves five stars. And not to mention. So after the match, uh, <clears throat> Ray has a little bit of a celebration cut short with uh, Eddie again, getting his heel heat in takes him out one last time and walks off uh, to a crowd of booze. <laughs> yes. Excellent. He'll Which heat. Telling it and kind of, that was the, uh, the cherry on the top of a perfect Sunday. Yes. This was, I just, I think this was a great match and the ending was also just immaculate as well. Eddie Guerrero was going for, I think he called it the gory special at the time. He was going for some sort of big move from the middle rope, but uh, Rey Mysterio reversed it, like flipped entirely into a Frankensteiner and rolled him into the pen to get the win, which was just a fantastic finish because it was so, it would have been so easy to botch that match, but they didn't. It just looked amazing and it added to such a great match. And I was okay with the roll-up in this scenario. Yeah. Uh, just the way uh, it gives Ray the big win, the crowd pops. Yeah, and this is before the roll-up was used to death, so. Right, and uh, the, it was perfect because it was a way to defeat Eddie clean without completely laying him out and really um, leaving a mark on Eddie, so to speak. Yes, yes. So I think it was just perfectly planned out the way they ended it. Well, really, top to bottom, it was thought out very well. But uh, perfect way to end this this uh, this type of match. Absolutely, great, great match. And so you said there was a Hogan promo in between these two matches. Yeah. So uh, we we know as the story is told uh, by announcers through this card, um, you know Hogan. <laughs> Doesn't obviously is trying to avoid Piper in the main event. So, long story short, a uh, little fun fact: Piper debuted. Uh, he he left WWE after WrestleMania twelve in ninety six. Mm-hmm. Uh, comes in and, and uh, rekindles in a very old feud with Hogan. Roles reversed. Now, this time around, Hogan's the heel, Piper's the face. Oh, of course. I mean, that's the first feud in um in WrestleMania. Like, these two, along with Mr. T and Paul Orndorff, they main event in WrestleMania. Uh, yeah, and uh, the roles were reversed, and they also main evented uh, Starcade 96 for a big match as well. Oh, I did not know that. That's cool. Yep, so this was just kind of a continuation. Obviously... As everybody knows, the main agenda was getting to Hogan and Sting, and but this was something you throw Piper in, in and uh, a very intense guy, and uh, uh, you know Hogan again being the chicken shit he was as an NWO member. Him and Bischoff cut a, a backstage promo in black and white as they always did. Oh yeah, and uh, and it was just about you know Bischoff going off about. It's an unsafe working environment for the the great Hollywood Hogan, and he's, I know he's a Hollywood star. Not that he ever had a movie that 
did anything, but yeah. Um, regardless, he. What probably- are you talking about? What you're forgetting about? What's that one with him and Zeus? Is that um no holes barred? Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't. Uh, he wasn't Rocky three. I can't remember. He was in one of the Rockies. I mean, he he did he did some stuff back then, but yeah. Regardless, so it was a heel promo, uh, and I always thought Hogan did great heel promos. Yeah, um, you know he t- he sold himself well. Um, he got out of shit by being a heel, and this was you know they were demanding Sting be barred from the arena. Yeah. as far as saying he's not allowed in after to clean up the you know, to fold the chairs away and, you know, he's not allowed to sell popcorn and yeah, I know that and the other. So, uh, I think it was effective heel work. Yeah. Effective heel work, but a little bit of a bullshit, uh, NWO segment here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, but regardless, it was necessary to tell the story, uh, before we get into what, in my opinion, probably the worst match on the card. (laughs) Oh, quite comfortably. Yes. Next match was Steve McMichael versus Alex Wright with, um, oh, what was her name? Was it, uh, I don't have it in my, is it Deborah? Deborah. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Deborah that was with Jeff Jarrett in WWE. That's right. That's right. Okay. I'm remembering. Stone Cold or ex-wife or something. He was one of Stone Cold Steve Austin's ex-wives. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, uh, she was with Alex Wright. Now, Alex Wright was actually a pretty good worker. The problem was was Steve Mongo Michael was that bad. Um, yeah, he was not down. Ab- so the thing they were trying to sell McMichael, he was an ex uh, NFL player, and he his build reminded me of JBL. Yeah, I think JBL is a fantastic. I, I mean, it's a little irrelevant, but I I love JBL. Oh, JBL's uh, ten times the wrestler Mongo was, but oh my god, he but was but just... it was the same idea. They came over from the NFL. It just didn't work for McMichael. Um, he was. I just thought he was a very stiff wrestler, not very fluent. It was almost like he was always a step behind. Like he had to think about what he was doing, and um, it, it just it, most of his matches were pretty damn sloppy. However was uh, the pay-per-view, not that he was in the match, but the pay-per-view debut of Goldberg. Really? I did not know. I mean, I knew Goldberg. I saw Goldberg when I watched this, but I did not know it was his pay-per-view debut. I'm learning lots today. He he debuted in September of, uh, so about a month before this, where in his inaugural match, took out Hugh Morris, which is oh. fun. Hugh Morris, a uh, big dude, wore um, on his question marks and like like uh like weird smiley faces and stuff and then i got thinking about the name the other day as i was watching that i was like huh hugh morris hugh morris hugh morris humorous humorous i just ah, 25 yeah. years but i figured it out oh i just look up humorous it's bill demont yeah i know who he is yes yeah yes, yeah. yes i know him yeah so uh but yeah that was Goldberg's first ever win so this was basically, uh, you know, so Goldberg was squashing, squashing guys, and Goldberg came out in this match to build a Starcade match with Mongo. Oh my lord, how was that? I don't want to answer that. So <laughs> <laughs> I completely understand. 
Uh, and it was, you know, it is what it is. Mongo, he kind of had the look. He had, you know, as far as um, from a photograph standpoint, he was in uh, the last um, version of the Four Horsemen. Really? It looked apart. It, yeah. It was, so in this day and age, it was Ric Flair, Steve Mongo, McMichael, Chris Benoit, and Art Anderson. Wow. That is, that is. The most one of the most random lists of name I think I've ever heard in my entire life. Three of the greatest uh, in ring performers of all time: Steve Mongo, McMichael. I know that is that's interesting. That's interesting. I don't think there's much more to talk about here. I gave this one star. Um, I also gave it one star. I don't even. I didn't even write down who won this match. I think Alex Wright won it. Alex Wright won after Goldberg came down, and Charles Robinson was the ref. He was just so horrible at pretending like he couldn't see Goldberg. He was You're he right. literally yeah. at one point he full on turned around and watched Goldberg happening, and he just turned around and started talking to Deborah again. I'm it glad was... you mentioned that because I forgot to write that down. But you're right. Um, yeah. While he was, uh, yeah, screwing around with Mongo and yeah. eating him up. Yeah, it was. Deborah wasn't doing the greatest job of completely distracting the ref, and it was pretty. Um, it was not good. This was not a good match. This was uh, not good. Um, yeah, really? after the match, Deborah gave Goldberg a Super Bowl ring, which I assume was Mongo's because he said he was an ex NFL player. Yeah. Yep. They both yeah. were, which was, I think, why they put it in the story. Uh, oh, I did not know that. I don't know, like, anything about Alex Wright, but, yeah, that's... Oh, uh, no, no, no. I mean, uh, Goldberg and Mongo. Oh, like, Goldberg. Yeah, I knew that. I knew that about Goldberg. Yeah, no, not Alex Wright. Now, funny, uh, I wish I uh, we were on video because I would do Alex Wright dance, catch his entrance. <laughs> uh, I did not know. I mean, I saw his entrance, but I didn't notice anything about it. Why did he do a dance? Yeah, he, he does. I, I'll have to, uh, next time I see you, remind me. Um, Absolutely. I'll... For Mania, you'll have to show me the Alex Wright dance. That's yeah. happening. Absolutely. Um, so, unfortunately, the card doesn't really get a whole lot better quickly because... The... No, I think this show's strengths in its first three matches. I think there's still one more like big notable match that I'd like to talk about. And then of course the main event, but yeah, so the card isn't great from here, but there is, it's eventful. I'll say that. So yeah, next on the list, uh, we have an intergender match, uh, including the world television champion. So that was the thing back then. WCW had a kind of a cool concept with the world TV title. Yeah. What was that about? I heard them talk. I don't remember too. I've never, I knew the T the uh, TV title existed, but I don't know anything about it. I figured it was just another mid card title. It is, but it was just, um, it was defended pretty much every week on TV. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Which is kind of a cool concept. Yeah, I uh, don't mind that concept. It's like the 24-7 title, but actual matches. Right, right, yeah. right. And yeah. does more than bury every superstar who chases it. Exactly. So, Ugh. at this point in time, Disco Inferno is the TV champion. And yeah. I cannot believe the title was on the line here. But it, he had a match against Jacqueline, who uh, roughly six months after this match joined WWF. And uh, became a Hall of Famer over there. So yes, Jackie, good for her. Good for her. So, I don't know much about her, but I've from what I've seen, she's not bad. She's not bad. 
No, and well, here's the thing: she was actually like a pretty solid wrestler. But when she, even when she got over uh, the WWF, she didn't have a lot to work with. She worked with Sable. Nothing against Sable. She, Sable was there for looks, not play. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know. Uh, anyways, but uh, this was. I, this wasn't as bad as I think some people thought. It wasn't much of a match. It was, no, the most of this match, it was, from what I have here, it was, good lord, almost 10 minutes. I think the match went way too long for what it was. I think that there it was mainly just Disco Inferno running away and hitting the lightest moves possible. And then once Jackie got her hands on him, she would hit like very light moves as well. She would always try to win, but he would just run away. And that was pretty much it for like 10 minutes. So not my favorite match on the card. No, but I, I, so I guess if you're going to do an intergender match, I think they picked uh, the right guy for the job. Yeah. Yeah. I think Inferno. Not that he ever should have been a world champion or anything like that, but he knew his role and he knew how to work very well any situation he was ever put in. I thought he was a solid guy to have on your roster. Yeah, I think so. Um, I kind of liked the, the Disco Inferno gimmick. Uh, Glenn Gilberti, who played this gimmick, uh, I actually follow him on Instagram. He, I don't think he's much off the act, the character. Uh, he now owns a strip club in Vegas and is obsessed with haircuts. Oh, that's something. That's what he does in in this day and age. So I that's, don't. That's uh, something. Inferno's much off the real dude. <laughs> yeah, that's something. But anyways, long story short, I had this at one and three quarters and the only reason I rated it that high was because I thought Disco did a pretty solid job of I, I keep using the term on the part it's chicken shit heel but that was you know he got you know his running away and getting out of shit and and not uh, wanting to hit a woman and uh, the way he played the whole role I thought he did well at that Yeah, but again uh, there was nothing about this that was over-the-top exciting. Wounds up ending up uh, a, a top rope cross body into a roll-up for Jacqueline to get the victory. I know. That's, I was not, I mean, Jackie getting one, that's cool. The crowd pop's pretty big for it, which is cool. Yeah, big pop. Uh, it is what it is. Um, I, I, I thought it was better than Mongo's performance, so we'll give it that. Yeah, we'll give that that. That's not too high of a bar to pass, but hey, we'll give them that. I gave it 1.5 stars. So that wraps up part one of a two-parter for our WCW Halloween Havoc review show. Little uh, change of pace from the WrestleMania stuff we've been posting here in WrestleMania season. We are getting close uh, thanks for tuning in yet again, folks, and uh, stay tuned for part two.